jealousy? Did it give you pangs of nostalgia? Because I think there were, uh, this is the one where the dudes from 1 and 2 come back, right? This is absolutely the one uh, where the dudes from 1 and 2 come back. And uh, that gives me some nostalgia. This this morning, though, I was playing, and do you revisit a location from the first game that has the soundtrack from the first game? Oh, boy, you do. Yeah. And it's weird because, uh, hey, everyone, this is the Big Bang Theory. Uh, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And we talk about this television show called The Big Bang Theory, uh, but, God, it's kind of a so-so show. It's mid, you might say. And so, instead, yeah, uh, this game, like, I don't even have the level of nostalgia for it that I would the, any of the Final Fantasy games that I grew up with when I was a wee t- uh, lad. I started playing these games three or four years ago. I think I started playing them to, to kill a lot of time during the pandemic, but ah, they are deep in me. And so I'm having nostalgia for something I experienced as an adult about three years ago. <laughs> and that is, uh, It is funny how that works. Uh, so that's a fun question. What's the first? So not what's the first time you re, you played an old video game and felt nostalgia. Here's what's the first time a video game made you feel sort of nos- got you with a callback or made you feel nostalgic with a reference to an older game. I'll I'll go first with my example because it's easy to remember. Sure. In Metal Gear Solid Four, you go back to Shadow Moses. I mean, that game is generally pretty good. So not only do you go back to Shadow Moses, which is a little bit fun in itself, but then the climax of that mission is you you get to pilot the old Metal Gear and you get into a mech fight with all the other me- with like the newer, sleeker Metal Gear from the second game. And uh, that's uh, that's radical. It is. Did you ever play that one? No, like I Metal Gear is such a huge blind spot for me. I've played the first Metal Gear Solid. That's about it. And it's not like I didn't like it. I like the game. I assume I would like all these other games. It's just, you know, I didn't stick with it after the first one. And now there's so much confusing lore that I'm like, that all seems pretty overwhelming. I mean, it, the the lore was conf- Famously, the funniest thing about those games is the very first game to ever be like a big, like monumental blockbuster success in the United States. Metal Gear Solid is already dependent on the lore of these of these NES games, one of which wasn't even ever released in the United States. So even in the very first Metal Gear game, the lore is confusing. Yeah, it's that was something that um you know, when I first started getting online, interweb, you know, that whole thing. I was in like middle school and this is back in the day when, uh, man, you know, you think of the internet as freedom, but back in the day it was wild, it was unregulated, which meant that uh, it was up to just other weird, lonely nerds to make these, like, message board, basic HTML web rings, and among learning that there were multiple Final Fantasy games that were never released, also learning about the confusing, yeah, like bad translation different versions one not coming out in the u.s on a system that never came out in the u.s altogether metal gear background it's just like yeah i don't know and i learned all of that um in spite of not really being into those nintendo games but like the when i got a playstation the first game i got i believe was metal gear solid not because i really wanted it but because uh they didn't have final fantasy 7 in stock when i bought it 
And the guy at the store was like, everyone wants to play this game. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'll play Metal Gear Solid and not spend the next 60 hours of my life with Cloud Strife. <sighs> yeah, that wasn't fair. Metal Gear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, someday I'll get through those, but probably not. Uh, as for my own nostalgia memory, when I was in high school and uh, Chrono Cross came out, I was playing that with some friends and... Uh, that was before it was clear that it had any actual connection to Chrono Trigger. And then they go to this futuristic place. And I was like, oh my god, this is it. You're going to get in an Enertron and it's going to say that uh, you feel rejuvenated but you're still hungry. My friend is like, that is so specific and stupid. There's no way they would do that. This isn't a sequel. And then within the next three minutes, that exact thing happened. And I was like, oh, they made this game for me. They're <laughs> tapping into my feelings for another game that came out once again. Five years prior. <laughs> They're really, really short nostalgia loop for me, I guess. Um, and it works. Gamer Gaming companies know it works. Yeah. I mean, I think nostalgia in video games is more... Isn't... I don't want to say it's... Obviously, it can still be toxic, but there's something about nostalgia in video games that I don't hate as much as I hate, like, nostalgia in live-action entertainment. And I, I'm trying to put my finger on... Why? But I, I think it's just there's more different aspects to like mine nostalgia from. Like you said, because usually the thing that they don't do is they don't just try to go back and. Oh, well, shit. I was about to say, it's not like they're just telling the same story again. And I remember that like that new Resident Evil 4 game just came out. Which apparently is a much more refined, but also less campy and over the top experience. So. Yeah, it's like, congratulations, you made it less fun. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that everybody always talks about in that game, which is how awesome it is that it's fucking batshit crazy. You decided people weren't people who could handle that in 2008 or whatever couldn't handle that in the Halcyon days of 2023. So you better not push it. Whatever, it's fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, just as a quick aside. First, I don't think that game needs remaking. But also, like you just said, Kyle. Like for example. You know, very end of the game, spoiler alert for game that, you know, what, 2008 or whatever. Like, the ending of the game is you are on a jet ski racing out of an exploding castle dungeon with the United States president's daughter wrapped around your waist. Uh, and it's all taken dead serious. Like, there's no tongue-in-cheekness. Like, it's ridiculous. It's silly. And it knows it's stupid, but it's, you know, fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the, a video it's, game. It's what we call the tango and cash approach to storytelling. Yeah, where anytime you go into a, a room, well, I guess it's only actually one scene in tango and cash, but that's the rule I would apply is wherever you go into a room, you have to have just random movie villains throwing fire, and it's unclear <laughs> how they're burning things or where it's all coming from, but they are able to throw fire. Have you ever seen The Last Action Hero? Jesus, somehow I've never seen the whole thing. It's one of those, another, like, another things that feels like it should be a part of me. I've only seen the tiniest little bits of. That's okay. It's, I mean, it is great. And it has, I mean, it's it's fun and it's good. And, and Charles Dance is great in it. Uh, he's the guy who was Tywin Lannister on Game of Thrones. He plays the main bad guy in that movie. And he's he's terrifying and f funny at the same time. I'm not sure that ga that movie actually, like, holds up that but yes it's very much a part of my childhood because it was a it was a 90s parody of 80s action movies that i was way too uh 
too young to have seen any of. So yeah. I, it's one of those cases where I got the parody without understanding any of the source material but in many ways that makes it more funny but i only bring it up because there is a famously every time arnold schwarzenegger walks like comes home after a long day at work his the first thing he does is shoot the closet because there's always someone hiding in the closet trying to assassinate him so he like walks in the door eight out of ten movie at least yeah he walks in the door takes off his coat and just unloads (laughs) unloads his revolver into the closet and someone falls out and that is just that's just his night. Kyle, you're you're talking about something super fun that you know not everyone is gonna understand or appreciate and enjoy. And to make a hard right turn, let's talk about the opposite of that. Let's talk about something kind of dull that everyone's gonna get and no one's really gonna love. And that is today's episode of the Big Bang Theory, officially titled "The Workplace Proximity," uh, which is from season five, season seven, episode five. So I'm going to go to the short summary on this because I feel like this episode has maybe 1.5 plots, like not a full A and B plot, just kind of like an eh plot. And so the official summary here from the Big Bang Wiki says, Amy starts working at Caltech. Oh, shit. Confirmed Caltech. All right. There we go. Amy starts working at Caltech on a neurological project near Sheldon, which unintentionally strains their relationship. Meanwhile, Bernadette gets mad at Howard after he makes an offensive comment about her and throws him out. That doesn't describe how well connected those two events are. The the offensive comment from the summary is Bernadette learns that in talking with Sheldon, uh, he says that, hey, oh man, Amy's going to start working with you? Boy, that's going to ruin everything. Oh, and then... uh, they, they start talking about, uh, and Amy is part of the conversation at one point, too, not understanding the euphemism, don't shit where you eat. And, uh, I mean, that is the entire episode. Like, the Bernadette part is, like, the half plot where, in the background, Wallowitz is trying to uh, make up by both admitting to, but also recovering from the fact that, yeah, he did totally tell Sheldon God if I had to work with Bernadette. Oh, that would be like... And the tension between Amy and Sheldon, I think, is a little is a little false. Well, I mean, it's definitely tense for Amy. Uh, Sheldon has zero concerns about Amy working near him, but is only really operating on Wallowitz's uh, hypothetical concerns. And see, he's almost being, like, held up to dislike the situation. And I don't remember how they work it out. I don't know. Does well, Sh- uh, uh, Go ahead. they don't. Funny enough, this episode ends with... Uh... With multiple times, it looks like they've resolved it, but it actually ends with the girls still mad at the guys and no uh, indication that they will forgive them without some kind of gesture being made. But yeah. And yet I am willing to bet that the next episode doesn't begin with them still being upset about this. No, no, no. Well, Kyle, I did an experiment with this episode, all right? So this isn't a new segment or anything. This is just a new point of view, which is, uh, you know, I... I when I watch media, I'm usually only wanting to focus on that thing. I'm I'm not someone who often puts things on in the background. I don't really like background noise. The exception being podcasts, but like TVs or movies, uh, games, I don't like them being like lizard brain things while I focus on something else. That said, I understand that a lot of TV is meant for exactly that kind of thing. I'm pretty sure this show is one of them. And so uh, today's experiment was 
will I really miss out on anything in the episode if I am more focused on uh, grooming my cat the entire time? My cat who is old and sick and who is uh, terrible at taking care of himself, and so I have to put extra intensity into grooming him regularly lest he become a gigantic ball of matted terror and pain. And let me tell you, uh, I think uh, the episode I got as much, if not more, enjoyment out of it because uh, I wasn't as focused on jokes to be disappointed by or, you know, expecting jokes that, that never really came. So four out of five show to groom your cat to. Hard recommend. How do you feel, Kyle? So I noticed that, I mean, I actually thought this episode was... When I say this is a very good episode of the Big Bang Theory, I want to make sure that it's clear. I don't think this was a, this is a, like, an all-time high for the show. I just meant that this was an episode that basically captures everything that everybody likes and finds, I guess, comforting slash predictable about the Big Bang Theory. So it's like, in this one, like, uh, Sheldon is a little bit dense and rude while simultaneously seeming mostly harmless. Uh, just socially awkward, and Wallowitz puts his foot in his mouth, and he and Raj have bro time, and the girls are just exasperated with their men. Uh, except, interestingly enough, for Penny and Leonard, who are just basically bystanders for this whole thing. Yeah, if anything, they just love watching the, the faux pas unfold. Oh, they, them and their idyllic relationship get to look at everyone else's goofs. Um, yeah, you're, you're, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's such a good cat grooming episode is because you're going to get exactly what you want out of it. Uh, the, the characters are going to behave in the exact way those characters behave. There's not going to be any crazy twister turns. And I will say, I did just remember the, the final shot, which gave me a, a moment of, of tickle in my chest. Oh yeah, that was cool. That was cute. Yeah, it seemed like an actual thing nerds would do, which is yeah. When you said the plot doesn't really resolve, I think you know one of the one of the the lady members says something about like, oh, I hope the others are really you know hanging out and thinking about what what they've done. And then the the stinger scene is uh, it cuts to all the bro nerds and they are zapping balloons with a laser and having the time of their life. So, and that that was a joy. Also, I, as a child. I don't know, we had lasers around my house to experiment with. I don't really remember why, but I remember there being at least one laser in various places I lived as a child. So if anyone wants to know what my childhood was like, there were lasers involved. You can know that much at least. Anything else about this, Kyle? Uh, yeah, I I don't expect you to remember this, but one of the things that was... So, two things. First off, you said, ah, Caltech re re uh, confirmed. And that was one of my questions, because when she said, I got it, when Amy said, tells Sheldon, hey, I got a job working with you at Caltech, I was like, is this the first time that we've ever, uh, we've ever actually said that this is Caltech? And I think that it is, but I could be... I could be wrong about that. I mean, we had already deduced it because yes. it was an engineering research school in southern california so it was always so it wasn't like it was ever a mystery but i wonder if at some point when they started they didn't have the rights to call it caltech and eventually caltech was like well you guys you know we really want to be associate we really want to be in bed with the big bang theory brand so we're gonna yeah please use us if there's one thing we think will help our marketing it will be everybody thinking that this is an accurate representation of what Caltech is like. 
maybe the show got popular enough that you know initially they're concerned about whether this kind of broad parody of nerds is going to be something that would offend the exact kind of person who would end up becoming one of their students and then they see the cultural impact it has and they're like well I mean, you just got to ride the wave, am I right? Come on. Let's go ahead and get a little money out of this if this is the way things are going to swing. I, I think I think you might be right about that, Kyle. Um, I don't know. I Anything else big about this episode? Like, I don't know about things it doesn't have, you know? There's not enough Raj to the extent that you ever need more Raj. She doesn't really have much to do. Yeah, Leonard that's... and Penny just giggle on the side, yeah. There was one moment, and I don't think this is really what happened, but uh, so uh, Sheldon, one of the, the, the bits of strife that he causes is when Amy does start hanging out to the university and is in the lunchroom, she's spending time with, you know, some other professional colleagues and is having a nice professional lunch, and Sheldon comes up, and he is not in any way intentionally demeaning or belittling here, but where Amy is trying to like yeah, keep on her professional face. He's like, hey, guess what? She's my girlfriend. We have fun together. Ha <laughs> ha, I'm going to hang out with you dorks. We're having a good time. And he makes a couple jokes about this guy like being from, I don't know, Sweden or wherever, and that doesn't go over that well, even though they're not terrible jokes. He does later say, oh, ethnic humor, the funniest kind of humor, which is like, Sheldon, Sheldon, this isn't you. We know this isn't you. But so, yeah, he... Oh, or maybe, it, I mean... Maybe uh, Sheldon recently discovered 4chan, and that was uh, that was. Oh yeah, was... Sheld- I mean Sheldon is a big channer. I mean they all are. They must be. But anyway, the the thing that I thought was interesting was uh, during this exchange, Amy at one point kicks Sheldon in the shins, and Sheldon again committing to the bit is like, oh, apparently that's something we do in our relationship too. Watch this, and kicks her right back. I don't think her face was a wincing face. Oh, I don't think. I don't think it was a pain face. I think it was. This is the contact I'm gonna take if it's what I can get. Face. That's like if if you kicking me is as much as you're gonna take touch me, Sheldon. I'm gonna just let you kick me. Then, I mean, it was the briefest moment, but I I don't know. She did not appear to be in distress or pain. She instead just got serious face on, and that's that's where I'm taking that one. So. Uh, that that's my little reading too deep Big Bang Theory moment of the week. I like it. You know, I am always, I am always uh, pushing for this show to become uh, uncomfortably kinky for a mainstream audience. Sure, because you're a nasty freak. Is that why? Yes. The other thing that I thought I wouldn't expect you to remember this, but uh, I think we uh, we literally asked this question last episode when we were talking about it and about how weird it is that they don't just put Amy and Bernadette in the same research college as the rest of them. Yeah. Cause it would be so easy to, it would be so easy to have them all work in the same place and they did not do it. There must uh, but, have been a talk about why they couldn't or shouldn't do that. Some sort of basis for exclusion. Yeah. Or they or, never thought about it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and they, or they, they were just saving it, and they were like, for whatever reason, they were like, no, now it is finally time. The time has finally come. Yeah, I think that's the case. The other thing, I had forgotten about it, but 
my my favorite joke in the episode was it's like so what's your research on Amy and uh, and Amy's like oh well we're you know we want to see if we I can't remember if we give monkeys too much of this enzyme or if we deprive them of it to see if it causes uh, you know intense fear and paranoia in monkey brains and Bernadette just casually goes well if they're anything like humans then sure and uh, they go wait how would you how would you have already done this experiment with humans? And she's like, oh, of course not. I would never do this, especially not on death row inmates with nothing to lose. That would be unethical. Yeah, you know, in in that regard, again, giving you exactly what you want and expect of the characters, but this time, a welcome treat. Yes. Yeah, Bernadette, as someone who has definitely yeah. created, committed war crimes. <sighs> That's Yeah, okay. You know what? Good episode overall, I guess. Five out of five episode to brush your cat to. It got an extra star. All right. But Kyle, I, I hate to say that I am on a bit of a time limit for today's episode. And so I must push us toward our totally fine. I think we're good. Okay. Um, I do have one in the chamber unless you want to hit go it first. All right. So as I mentioned somewhere at the beginning of the podcast or in the blackness that exists before the podcast that you never actually get to listen to, I've been playing a lot of Dark Souls. I've been playing a lot of the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 uh, DLC because, again, um, my my adult brain has never fully developed. But uh, what I'm recommending this week is a movie I saw, which, um, you know what I'm going to say ahead of time? B-plus movie. Not quite an A-, but a solid B-plus. And uh, it is Evil Dead Rise. And here's what I'm going to say about it. I'll, I'll keep it pretty brief. You know, there's not much to spoil. It's an Evil Dead movie, which means that you've got a Necronomicon, you've got Deadites, you've got gore. It delivers on all of those fronts. But what it really made me think of was uh, the the most recent Predator franchise film, Prey. And what I think they both fall into is the category of excellent fan movie. Like... Not a movie that is really something that's going to move the franchise forward. Not a movie that really fundamentally examines or changes anything about it in any way. But a movie's like, hey, you know that thing you like? Well, here's some of that. You know, a new a new guy's going to come in. There's going to be a little bit of different context to it. But yeah, it's just going to deliver. And um, part of the reason I'm making this recommendation, in spite of, again, saying it's a B-plus movie, is... I think this one also kind of rides the line between a B-movie and a big-budget movie. You know, like, I, I hear it was originally supposed to be released straight to HBO Max streaming, but then test audiences ended up really liking it, and so they went theatrically. And something I'd heard uh, of people talking about on another movie podcast I listened to is the idea of the middle-budget movie needing to come back and wanting yes, to support that. Jesus. Yeah, and that's where I think this is. This is something that is just like, you know, it's a well-made, not gigantic blockbuster movie. It's a genre film, but it's not like a quick cash grab, you know, nor is it some sort of, you know, I love A24, but it's not trying to be an art house film either. It is like the middle budget, like we're trying to hit fairly broad target audience and so we're gonna do a good enough job and i say go see it for that reason and not like it's it is fun 
Um, like I was, w- one my big criticism overall is I, I wish it were funnier. It does not lean into the funny side of Evil Dead, which bums me out. But uh, that aside, it's a good time. And so yeah, uh, if you get a chance to see it in a theater, go see it. And you know what? If you can't see it in a theater, uh, it's gonna be just as fun on streaming because it is that level of movie. <laughs> so very good. Very good. I think I like your uh, your characterization. I mean, first off, I think the comp- I haven't seen it yet, but comparing it to Prey uh, is a is a good comparison point because you're right. A Prey was very much it was like it was it basically felt like a short concept film expanded to like a full hour and a half movie, just executed really well. It's like you know, yeah, yeah. Here's a slightly fresh twist on this in a way that you could sort of see, you know. You could make a whole series of these Predator throughout history movies, and they would all be delightful. But this one is particularly delightful because it's the first one and because it's very clever. Um, and also, that movie totally should have gotten a theatrical release. It was easily good enough to deserve a theatrical release. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that one really missed out because that um, no, was great. It was, uh, you know, I, I also thought this about both of them as they both kind of have the benefit of low expectations because these movies in these franchises have been trash generally. Well, Evil Dead is actually made out okay, but like the Predator movies, no. But yeah, Prey, it was it, it should have been given a bigger release. Yeah. That makes sense. And then uh you know what? I'm going to just I could talk about Mega Man Battle Network some more cuz I'm still playing it, but uh Hell I yeah. thought inst- I thought instead um I probably will come back to it at some point. You know what? I'm just going to continue to talk about The Last Action Hero because I think people deserve <laughs> to know what it is. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, uh, The Last Action Hero is, uh, again, the whole joke is that it is about it is about a boy who uh, is living in, in New York in the early 90s. Uh, and this is, again, this is pre-Disneyland New York. So, like, there's this whole bit very early on where he gets, like, mugged at night. You know, he gets, nu- like, uh, mugged at night for a uh, point either uh, in, like, his – I can't remember if it's in his stairwell or if it's on the way home. But, uh, you know, so this is this is dirty non – non-Disney New York with all the sex shops in Times Square and stuff like that. But um, it is very much, in actuality, an 80s movie that just happened to come out in the 90s because that's the whole joke. It's this kid, because his life is kind of difficult and terrible, he escapes to the movie theater where he watches, you know, with the aid of his friend who is, you know, sort of an aging, you know, the typical sort of aging weirdo uh Doc Brown-esque old man who spends way too much time with young kids, but we just all accept just that that's a specific re- that, boy. Don't yeah, make just one sound sp- like he's all over the neighborhood. <laughs> we just somehow accept that this is a valid relationship archetype for some reason. But anyway, and they watch action movies on a loop live in the theater, which I guess in the age before Netflix and streaming was probably the best way to do that. So he's exet- he's obsessed with. Uh, 80s-style action movies, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone-style action movies that you might imagine. So I think I think particularly the the type of movies that would... So Tango and Cash and, uh, you know, Lethal Weapon obviously gets a lot of name-dropping. And not, the, not like the first Dirty Harry movie, which was kind of grounded, but the later Dirty Harry movies, which are much more uh, over-the-top. Like, all of these are reference points for his favorite film franchise, which is Slater, which is a fictional 
you know, franchise about a rogue cop named Jack Slater who is uh, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he loves this guy. And he, he's quite ob- obvious. He thinks of him like a, you know, has some sort of need for a father figure. And, and Jack Slater sort of fills this role in his life. Anyway. And yeah, so... Again, Jack Slater exists in a movie universe that is just the most over-the-top 80s action movie that you can think of. And you get a sense of this from the very beginning, which begins with like a 10-minute set piece that is just a clip from a Jack Slater movie, which is every 80s stereotype you can think of, including that bit where he's asked if he has any weapons and he just starts pulling a ridiculous number of guns out of his <laughs> out of his jacket because he has like eight of them. And so, uh, anyway, kid loves these movies and one day because it's a movie, the, the weird old man gives him a golden ticket that was given to him by Harry Houdini and he saved it all this time, but he, he gives it to him sort of to commemorate, uh, he's gotten a, he's basically gotten a screener or he's gotten the real early for the newest, newest Slater movie and to lure this kid into the theater. He says, why don't you come and watch it all by yourself, you know? And he gives him, he's like, oh, but you need a ticket. Here, take my magic golden ticket from Harry Houdini. And so he uses the ticket, and he gets sucked into the movie, bum, bum, bum. So this is about a normal kid who has watched way too many action movies, living in a world that runs entirely on the premise of 80s action movies. Uh, which, again, I think I think what's weird now is that the when this movie came out, the type of movie that it's parodying, we were already beginning to move away from. So, like, this is a, this is like a pre, like, sci-fi block. This is like pre-Independence Day, Man in Black. Uh, even I think this movie came out after Die Hard, but not after Die Hard had completely, like, reconceptualized, like, what an action franchise should be. Although, ironically, it's the same director. And so, again, it's, it's, like, all of the jokes are about how nothing in this world makes sense according to any logic. It's just how things work in this universe. Things just are constantly blowing up. You know, there's always villains and gangsters and ninjas everywhere. And it's just it's just an incredible number of sight and vocal gags. Like, at one point, he goes to the police station, and the the police are pairing people up for partners. It's like, okay, short Jewish guy, tall Aryan blonde guy, your partners. Okay. Femme glam chick with incredible blonde hair. You get the, you get this, uh, you know, weirdo misogynist dude. And of course, and I think at one point, you know, someone's like, and you get the cartoon cat. Cause there's a cartoon cat on the force. Yeah. And it just becomes, uh, and at one point in the second half of the movie, the main bad guy from Slater escapes back into our universe and is, and in probably the best joke of the film, he immediately murders someone in cold blood and, uh, and looks around and is like, hello, hello, is anyone, is anyone going to come help this? I have just committed murder and I would like to confess. And someone yells out of their apartment window is like, shut the fuck up, buddy. He's like, oh, I'm going to like this universe. <laughs> So uh, that that's the last action hero in a nutshell. Very good. The only bit of it I've ever seen that I can remember involves uh, an assassin who has a smiley face either actually on his eyeball or as a contact lens. Uh, that alone. No, that's yeah, that's the guy. That's Charles Dan. I mean, I don't remember his name in the movie, but that's yeah, that's the guy who plays Tywin Lannister is the main bad guy. 
and he uh, he has a glass eye, and sometimes he puts in a smiley face in his glass eye. Yeah, so, hey everyone, all the other reasons that were good for watching it, add that one, because that is the one that has stood out to me most from when I was a youth. Yes, it is... Uh... Like I said, I'm not sure how well it holds up, but if you're, if it, I always feel, I watched it when I was like six and I, you know, it's always held up for me. It was written, so it was directed by, I think, John McTurney, the same guy who directed Die Hard. Um, although again, it is much more in the vein of pre-Die Hard action movies. And then it was written by Shane Black, which is, I assume, where all of the self-referential, over-the-top uh, jokey jokes come from. I say high pedigree, you're saying. Yes. Cool. Well, I'm going to actually try to watch that because, yeah, that's another one of those that's just been on the in, in the back of my mind my entire life that I've yet somehow never actually seen the entirety of. So, you know, it's, when it came out, I don't think it was a very big hit. And nope. maybe that just speaks to the quality of it not being uh, n- maybe it's just not actually as good as I think with my nostalgic glasses or maybe it was just the. You know, it feels, in the fact of how meta it is, it feels very much like a movie that could come out now, because it's basically just like, wow, isn't it wacky that one of the characters in this film knows all the tropes of an action film? You know, he's basically Abed in communi- doing the Abed in Community thing the entire movie. Um, yeah. Well, I'd have to see it and judge for myself, but I can imagine that, you know, people who just want to go see the latest big, explodey uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie suddenly get this you know kind of satire meta spoofy thing they're like what is this it's stupid he's not he's not just saying regular cool things when it blows up and he shoots it with the gun and so i'm not sure if it had uh, the right market to watch it but that's all just speculation there maybe so all right well, Kyle, any any last words to, to leave on? Any any notes of wisdom? Not I. I've got nothing either other than, hey, uh, don't play JRPGs. Not because they're bad for you. Well, actually, because they are. Cause they, will, they will destroy your life. They will take so every last... This is so many hours. So many hours of just anime nonsense that I'm addicted to. Just don't don't let it happen. Don't, don't get into anime or JRPGs. Don't do any of that. Go be a cool car guy. <laughs>